Hello, and welcome to the Laverne Church of Christ podcast, and thank you for joining us. You can find us at 244 Old Nashville Highway, Laverne, Tennessee, 37086. We hope that any time you are in the area, you will stop by and join us for worship. Our Sunday morning worship is at 9 a.m., with Bible classes following. Our Sunday evening worship is at 6 p.m., and we also have a Bible study on Wednesday at 7 p.m. The passage today comes from the book of Romans, chapter 3. Starting in verse 19. Now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who were under the law, so that every mouth may be stopped and the whole world may be held accountable to God. And by the works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight, since through the law comes knowledge of sin. But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance he had passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who is faith in Jesus. Good morning, members of the great church. It's good to see all of you on this fine Sunday morning. What a pleasure it is to be able to worship God. It's been a pleasure for me so far, and I hope it has been to you as well. Our guests today, our visitors that are with us, maybe the first time or for the 50th time, we're glad to have you today also. Welcome to the great church. You've come to a great place among God's people. We hope that you will experience the presence of the Lord today and that you would decide to make us your church family and this your church home. That is our sincere wish. Today we are continuing our series, Sinless, in which we are talking about the world's least favorite subject of all, and that, of course, is the subject of sin. But we're not talking about sin just to, you know, just to talk about sin We're talking about sin because of the Lord's desire that we should be free from it. And I left my clicker down there in the pew, so I'm going to walk down here and get it and narrate the whole process. All right. But God wants us to be free from sin. And uh, he has given us a way through Jesus for that to become a reality. And the ultimate aim of this series is to enable us to understand how that works. A couple of weeks ago, I brought up the legend of George Washington and the cherry tree. If you were here or if you, uh, if you watched our service and, and listened to that sermon online, you will remember that I talked about that. And if you're not familiar with the legend of George Washington and the cherry tree, uh, you know that the legend is when he was six years old, his father gave him a hatchet as a birthday gift. And the first thing he did with that hatchet is run out into the land there and find his father's prized cherry tree and chopped a hunk out of it and then went on his merry way. And somewhere down the road, his father happened to walk up on his uh, cherry tree and find that a 
a chunk had been chopped out of it, and knowing that he'd given his son a hatchet, partially his fault for giving a six-year-old a hatchet, uh, but he knew what had happened, confronted George Washington, and little boy George Washington said, according to the legend, I cannot lie, I chopped your cherry tree. And that has been celebrated throughout the history of the United States, a story that's been told to American children to say, look, this is the kind of stock that we come, come from. This is the father of our nation and so forth. We need to be upright and integral people that tell the truth and all of that. And I think that's all fine and that's great. But I told you when we first of all looked at this story a couple of weeks ago, that I, I do commend the boy in the story for doing what he did, professing up when confronted about his sins. But I said that he didn't do the best thing that he could have done, and that I'd bring that up again in a couple of weeks, and now here we are bringing it up again. He didn't do the best that he could have done. Because, listen, if you sin in some way, and God brings about a confrontation so that e either his influence on your conscience and your own mind or, or someone comes and con confronts you in that Matthew 18 fashion that you've sinned against them. And, and you've been confronted. If you've been confronted and you realize that you have, in fact, done what you're being confronted about, you're guilty of the sin, you ought to do something like what legendary George Washington did and say, I cannot lie, i got to tell the truth, I did it, and I'm sorry. You ought to fess up and own it, and that is the right thing to do. But the really righteous thing to do is not to wait to be confronted. If you have sinned against someone and you know it, the righteous thing isn't to wait and hope that it will go away. That's an injustice. The righteous thing to do is to go to that person that you know you've sinned against and, and confess and, and desire to bring about reconciliation actively. That's the right thing to do. If you've sinned against God in some way and you realize it and become aware of it, you don't wait for God to send a lightning bolt down upon you to strike some sense into you. You make it right with God. You take the initiative to confess your sins and to accept whatever it is that you must accept in order to make things right. And there's a reason why this is true. And it's because of the nature of good and evil. And I'm going to read what you see on the screen here. But we're going to pause for about 10 or 15 seconds once I do. So that we can all just look at what's, what's on the screen there. And really let this sink in. Really let it sink in. There is no good in sin. There is zero good in sin. There is no good sin, no good in sin, and no sin in good. Sin is always evil, and all evil is sin. When I see some company marketing a product using the terminology of sin, when they some say, come try this product, it's sinfully good. I will never buy that product. I'm sorry you have failed. You are misguiding the people. It's not funny. We don't joke around with sin. It's not funny. There is no good in it. There's nothing to, to laugh about, nothing to take lightly, nothing to joke about. Sin is to blame 
for everything bad that has ever happened to anybody in the history of this world. And if we are God's righteous people, we have to keep things separated in the proper way. Good versus evil is the same thing as right versus wrong. And it's the same thing as truth versus lies. And it's the same thing as justice versus injustice. Take just a moment and soak in that. Make sure it gets down deep right into your heart so that you understand the truth of this and are able to continue to think and act on this for the rest of your life. So drawn from that, listen, good people do what is right. That's what good people do. Good people do what is right. Good people tell the truth. Good people always tell the truth, 100% of the time, not 99% of the time. There's no good lie. Good people tell the truth. Good people do what is right. Good people seek justice when wrong is done even when the wrongdoer is themselves. We're called to reject the example of Adam and Eve. It's not brought up as what we ought to be doing to to imitate. If we're sons and daughters of Eve, still, we're still in sin and headed for condemnation. We need to be sons of God through Jesus Christ, the second Adam. And it means that we approach even our own sins in a different way. When we become convicted that we sin, our first response never should be the cover-up. Not to cover up in the sense of hiding it. Never should be to run from it. Never should be to hide from God. Never should we try to justify ourselves when we have done wrong. Ever. If you find yourself trying to justify yourself for doing wrong, for sinning, you're testifying against your own conscience that you're a sinner. Are you hearing me? That's not what righteous people do. And I'm not telling you that righteous people in this world don't sin anymore. That's not what I'm saying. We're talking about how righteous people in a fallen world, and when I say righteous people, I'm not talking about perfectly righteous people. I'm talking about Jesus' people. We have been declared to be righteous by the grace of God. And it is our responsibility in life to try then to make that a reality every day, to try to live that out. And so when we sin, and it's not an if we sin, when we sin, how we deal with that sin is a testimony to our hearts as to whether we are, in fact, graced people, saved people, Christian people, good people. Good people don't justify themselves when they've done wrong. And so our first point of four today that I hope that you will take note of in some way is that if a truly good person does something evil, he or she will not seek to escape justice. The Apostle Paul is a great example of this. When he was on trial, in fact, hadn't done anything worthy of death as far as the law was concerned, he said, if then I am a wrongdoer and have committed anything for which I deserve to die, I do not seek to escape death. You you see the character that Jesus had formed in the heart of the Apostle Paul. 
Remember what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 11, verse 1. He says to us who read his inspired writings, imitate me as I imitate Christ, right? And so this is the mindset we're supposed to have. Let me make this real and so we can understand it. If there's a, let's just say a man on death row because he's committed murder. And he's been in the process of abusing the system like so many do, availing himself, spending public funds, your tax dollars, to appeal his case, to appeal his case, appeal his case, in, in hope of ultimately somehow finding a loophole in the law so they can overturn the death penalty and be able to live his life out. And let's say that, that in this process he hears the gospel of Jesus Christ and realizes it's true and becomes a believer in Jesus and is baptized for the forgiveness of his sins. He's got to stop immediately trying to avoid death. He's got to. He did it. Confess it. Face the music. That's righteousness. Have we forgotten what it is? It's doing what's right. Even if it hurts. Because truth is truth. Lies are lies. Good is good. And evil is evil. Right is right. And wrong is wrong. We've all sinned, number two. Romans 3.23, check me if you don't know that this is true. Which means we all really do deserve to die. Romans 6.23, again, this is not my invention. Look it up. If you want to test and see if I'm telling you the biblical truth, if you've ever sinned, you deserve to die. Now again, I want you to Soak this in, please. Please soak this in. Justice will accept nothing less than our lives as payment. You cannot be saved without paying the death price for your sins. Can't be done. Because God, being a merciful and gracious God, does not do those things at the expense of justice or else he would seek to be righteous. God does everything right, which leads us to number three this morning. Jesus came to save us. We know this. Maybe to those of you that are just learning some of these fundamentals of the faith, maybe this is confusing. Maybe you're not understanding where this is going. Stick with me. Please pay attention. I'll make it clear. Right? But we know that Jesus came to save us, so what's all this talk about justice being done upon us? What's all this talk about us having to pay the death price? What's all this talk about the fact that we, that, that we cannot be saved if we seek to escape justice and that justice for our sins demands that our lives be paid, that our lives be forfeit because of it? What, what does this have to do with the gospel of Jesus Christ? This is it. Jesus came to save us, but listen, brothers and sisters, not by saving our lives but by offering us a chance to share in his. The first time you sinned, my brother, the first time you did wrong, my sister, and were accountable for that, old enough to know the difference, knew right from wrong, the first time you did it, you forfeited your life. You forfeited yourself. And God is absolutely going to hold you to that. He's going to hold you to that. 
You died. You died when you sinned. You gave up your right to life when you sinned. You as a sinner have forfeited all your rights because you're dead. You're dead in your trespasses and sins. You deserve to be separated from God for eternity. All of this is the absolute truth. Brothers and sisters, I beg you, I beg us all. I'm talking to myself as well. We need to get out of this 21st century American Western civilization mindset where we think so highly of ourselves. We are so concerned with defending these rights that we have as just this inherent, inherent quality as human beings that we deserve so much good to be done to us. How great a travesty it is if anything ever happens bad in this world because we are just so sweet in the apple of God's eye. Listen, brothers and sisters, I'm not denying the fact that God loves you very deeply, but don't think you're what you're not. God loves you. Are you listening? God loves you because of who he is, because of his heart, because of his goodness that is perfect, his righteousness that is whole and entire. That's why God loves you, not because you deserve it, because none of us do. None of us do. If I seek to preserve my own life, then I'm going to die. Because I have none. I'm a walking dead man in my sins. But if somehow I can become a partaker of the life of Christ, then, then I will live forever. Because nothing can kill him. He's already overcome sin. And lives victorious over it and free from it. This is why Paul wrote these words about our conversion then in Romans 6, 1 through 7. When, when he says in the Holy Spirit, what shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin so that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Verse 4, we were buried therefore with him by baptism into death. In order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self, listen, was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing. You following? You see how much sense the gospel makes when you start to connect the dots so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. Verse 7, you need to know this verse. For one who has died has been set free from sin. The price has been paid. This is why the Apostle Paul wrote these words in Colossians 2, beginning in verse 11. In him that is Christ, you were also circumcised with a circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, 
having been buried with him in baptism in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities, namely Satan, the accuser of the brethren. He took the words out of his mouth. For baptized believers, he took the words of accusation out of Satan's mouth. What can he say to the one who's paid the death price? It's done. Justice has been done. What can Satan say to the face of Jesus on judgment day about the baptized believer in Christ who continues to walk in that life of faith? The sin price has been paid. There is no more basis for accusation at all. That is the gospel of Jesus Christ. He disarmed Satan, the fallen angels, the rulers and authorities, and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him, that is, in the person of Jesus Christ our Lord. And this is what Jesus means when he says, whoever finds this life will lose it. You want to preserve the life you've got living in sin? You're dead. You will die. You will pay the sin price for yourself. No one will pay it for you. You will be cast into hell on judgment day, eternally separated from God, and justice will be done. Do you understand? Whoever loses his life for my sake, Jesus says, if you will die to yourself, if you will not wait to be confronted, that's too late, if you will come to Jesus and say, Jesus, I am a sinner. And I deserve to die. And I don't seek to escape justice. I'm not asking God to be unjust. I'm not asking God to set aside law for my sake. I'm not asking God to compromise truth and to tell lies about me. I'm coming and confessing the actual reality. I have sinned and I must die. You must come to Jesus. You don't have to say those words, but that is the concept. You're coming to Jesus saying, I've sinned and I deserve to die and justice must be done. But oh, dear God, oh, dear God, if there's a way that that price can be paid, that justice can be done, that somehow I could live for you, God's got the answer. My son paid the death price. Will you accept him? And God will accept the blood of Christ as payment. Matthew 10, 39. Matthew 16, 25. Mark 8, 35. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake in the Gospels will save it. Luke 9, 24. Luke 17, 33. Whoever seeks to preserve his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life will keep it. You see the consistent word of Jesus and, and, and the three of the four gospel writers recorded this teaching of Jesus in multiple occasions. 
because it is so central and vital for us understanding the truth. And these truths are what the Apostle Paul was talking about and living out when he says that famous verse, Galatians 2.20, that we sometimes sing. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Brothers and sisters, that's what it means to be a Christian. And so, number four, salvation from sin and death, Jesus, the salvation from sin and death, Jesus is promising, is not a miscarriage of justice. Again, stop, pause, think on this, let it sink in. This is of integral importance. The salvation from sin and death Jesus is promising is not a miscarriage of justice. Jesus calls us to come to him and die willingly. He calls us to lay our lives down at his feet to take it. And he will take it. And if we have died to ourselves, if we've given him ourselves, and if he has taken us, then we have no more autonomy in life. We have no more freedom to live the old way. We certainly will not sin anymore. But we will see ourselves as alive from the dead in Jesus Christ. It's no longer Joshua Pappas, the sinner. It's Jesus. It's me trying to let Jesus live in me and through me. It's me embracing justice by coming to Jesus to have the death sentence I deserve carried out on me, in him, through him, for him. Listen, Jesus... Jesus has not in any way misrepresented the fact that this is not easy. The reason why sin is in this world to begin with is because there is something in the core of our hearts that does, that does not wish to be controlled. There's something in the depths of each one of our minds that doesn't wish to be told what to do. Yes, we have a conscience given to us by God that oftentimes will work well and will accuse us when we ought to be accused and will excuse us when we need to be but there's also a little part of that conscience that will oftentimes try to justify ourselves in doing wrong. You know it's true. How many times in your life to this point have you done something that you know is wrong, but there's a voice in your mind where you're arguing against yourself and ultimately against your God, and you're saying, well, if he hadn't have done this, I wouldn't have. If she hadn't have said this, I never would. Well, if God had given me a better circumstance in life, if I wasn't born on that side of the tracks, and you can fill in all the blanks in the world to try to justify yourselves from sin and if you do you will die you'll die because you can't fool God he knows what sin is and he knows what you've done come to him confess accept the sentence of death not literally of course now you're going to have to physically die but it's a symbol. God's not asking us to commit suicide. And that wouldn't pay the price. You can't pay your own price and live. It's got to be through Jesus or you're doomed. 
That's why Jesus is our only hope. Brothers and sisters, I'm telling you, you've got to write this on the foundation of your mind. It's got to become a cornerstone in your worldview. Because if you understand this, you will realize why God is not being mean when he won't accept Muslims as true believers in him. God's not being mean when he won't let a Jew continue to serve him apart from Jesus, and he won't. God's not being mean when he won't allow the atheist just to walk in his own way in life and that somehow to be a pathway to God and to heaven. He's not being mean when he says to the Hindu that all of your sacrifices to these multiplicity of gods that never have existed and if they ever did, they were demons. He's not being mean when he says that that won't work. It won't work because all world religions are calling for God to do injustice. Are you listening? All world religions are asking God to forgive sins without the price being paid. Only Christianity, only in Christ, is God both just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus Christ. And that's why we've been reading in our scripture reading now every week for several weeks. Weeks. This passage from Romans 3 beginning in verse 23. You know this part of the passage at least. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified. See that word. Are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus whom God put forward as a propitiation, we'll talk about that next week, Lord willing, by his blood to be received by faith. Listen now, listen. This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance he had passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. I say in all kindness to my Muslim friends, come on over to the side of justice. Come on over to the side of truth. Come on over to the side of righteousness. There is no way for your sins to be forgiven justly apart from the sacrifice of the Son of God. That's the death price that God demands if you will be saved from the penalty of your sins. And there is no other there is no other. And I pray for the day that someone will be able to preach this exact message with this kind of power and boldness in Saudi Arabia because there's no hope for those people apart from the gospel of Jesus Christ. Man, do we need to pray for those all over the world that are trapped in governments and systems that, that preach false religion to them and the children are raised up in that and they believe with all of their hearts that they're serving God, but they're not. They're serving Satan. They're serving lies. They're serving injustice. And it will not stand. And there will be for us no double jeopardy, brothers and sisters. You understand the concept? In jurisprudence, double jeopardy is a procedural defense that prevents an accused person from being tried again on the same charges following an acquittal or conviction. And this is why one of the most beautiful words in all of the Bible, Romans 8 and verse 1, is true. For us who have been baptized into Christ, there is therefore now no condemnation because the death price has been paid. 
and we will not be tried again. It's done. We are therefore who are in Christ in the eyes of God justly sinless sinless Simone Beauvoir as quoted by J.R.R. Tolkien said there is no such thing as a natural death nothing that happens to man is ever natural since his presence calls the whole thing into question all men must die but for every man his death is an accident and even if he knows it to give sense to it an unjustifiable violation that's the way we feel in our flesh wait what death has come for me the time is I knew it would come but the time is now no no that's the flesh. But in the spirit, don't we know that it's not unjustifiable at all? Don't we know? Beloved, don't you know? It's not unjustifiable. It's justice. God is good. It's truth. That's right. Old George Washington in the cherry tree. He confessed and he didn't lie. But he did wait to be confronted. My friend, if you wait to be confronted on judgment day, you can say a thousand times over, I confess, cannot lie, I chopped the cherry tree. You're still going to have to pay the price. But my friend, if you know you're in sin and you haven't come forward in some form or another and said before Jesus, I confess, I'm ready to pay the price. And you've been baptized into his death, raised to walk in newness of life. That's what you need to do. That's the only way to have justice done upon you and you survive it. And on judgment day, you hear those words that we all desire to hear in our hearts. This is my absolute purpose in life I hope it is yours too my one singular purpose in life is to hear Jesus say well done good and faithful servant enter into the joys of your Lord and to take as many of y'all with me as I possibly can that's living for Jesus if you hadn't started the front pews are open we'll help you today and if you're a baptized believer that needs our prayers come as we together stand and sing Thank you for listening to this message from God's Word. If you have any questions, please email them to us at office at lavernecoc.org. Once again, we thank you for listening, and we hope you have a blessed day.